And guys, thank you. My name is Tammy Montgomery Dozier, and you are listening and watching my podcast, What Happens in This House, Stays in This House, Strength Over Silence podcast. I, I am in my year anniversary. I'm very excited to be doing this with you guys. I thank you for listening to me. So listen, guys, I have a very big treat for you all. I have uh, Reverend Deloach and his sons. You might not know who he is now, but when you get finished, you would know who these guys are. They are amazing. And I was just telling them that the reason why I wanted to do this podcast, so so many times we look at black male and men as endangered species, or they're all in jail and they're all doing this. And I just want to let you know that there are some guys out here doing it and they're just making it happen in this world. So what I would like you guys to do is introduce yourself chronologically from oldest to youngest. Okay, well, I guess I'll start first as I'm the oldest. <laughs> My name is Charles Deloach Jr. I'm a member of the SPA, SPA stat team, SPA, just uh, I'm a member of SPA. I'm a minister at Calvary Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago Heights, Illinois. And uh, yeah, that's me. All right, thank you. Next. Uh, I'm Charles, number, number three. I am a associate pastor at Chicago Sea Life Center, a church, Chicago, Illinois. Washington Park Inglewood neighborhood. I'm a community organizer, activist uh, for urban reformers. I've also do some just on-site coaching, football, training people for football, but also training people in the gym as well. And I love history. And I'm sorry, y'all see me. I'm, I'm currently out of town right now. So I uh, see the refrigerator behind me in the room. But, oh, no uh, problem. But yes, that's who I am. And I'm the oldest son of uh, Charles Jr. Thank you. Appreciate that. Next. I'm Elijah Deloach. I'm the second oldest son, right in the middle. I'm working and I make music. I sing about it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Next. I'm Parker Deloach. I'm the youngest, the last born of my father's children. I'm in school currently. I'm a pursuing a degree in business administration. And also I do music. I rap and stuff like that. I'm making some noise down south and uh, up here in the Chicagoland area. So yeah, I've been, uh, you know, just doing the music, trying to do music and school full time as much as I can. So yeah, that's it. Thank you for that. All right, so guys, with this podcast, it's open, whatever you want to say. I don't have, I don't try to hinder you, whatever your thoughts, feelings. We're going to get into some discussions about different things. So whatever you feel, go for it. I don't censor. The first question I want to get this one out, kind of out the way. So what was it like growing up in the church and having your father as a, a preacher, a preacher's kids. How was that growing up? You know, it was cool. I think when we were younger, you know, and we still do. I, I know I thought the world of it. Okay. Um, I thought it was pretty dope, you know, pretty awesome, pretty cool. You know, I used to really take pride in that. And I still do just because I see my dad in the pulpit, see them saying, you know, wearing suits and things like that. It was pretty, you know, always looked up to that. Of course, when he preached and um, being in the church, we didn't know nothing else different, right? You know, we okay. th we thought that was part of like we thought that was a part of uh, a life for everybody, you know, and that's just something we did. So to detach us from the church, it would have hurt us really bad because that was a part of our it's in our, it was in our system, and I think every chance opportunity we had to be able to go to church in whatever capacity that was, whether it's service or youth night, whatever the case would be, 
Um, we were submerged into the ministry so much, created relationships. And so uh, it was just a part of our life. You know, it was, we didn't, it didn't even feel like something that was a se- something separate. It was uh, like, it was just definitely in our system. You know, it was just something okay. that we, that we didn't even know was uh, a asset for our future. We just, okay. we just grew up in it, you know. Thank you. Anybody else? Appreciate that. I can say something about it. Like my brother said, it was pretty cool for me. I'm the youngest, so like I seen my dad and my brothers like just going to church and like dressed up and stuff. So I thought it was uh, pretty normal too. And then we were the uh, preacher's kids and everything. So I guess like kids uh, automatically uh, kind of be like, not look up to you, but you know, when uh, you went to Sunday school and stuff like that, expect you to know certain things. So I, I feel like, but we gained a lot of connections through the church. And we gained a lot of our own skills throughout the church and like a lot of our support system, like my dad's preacher, uh, people that he preached with and his brothers there, like they became like uh, uncles and like other father figures to us. So like, you know, it really solidified us as men. As, like even if my dad wasn't there, they knew who uh, the type of man he wanted, they wanted us to be so they could take care of us too. So they gave us a really firm foundation for what we are now. Good to hear. Um, Elijah, you have anything? I pretty much grown up in the church when I have a dad as a preacher and all that. I kind of knew that me and my brothers were seen as different. And I even just seen as we just were different from other people. Uh, even people who claim, oh yeah, we go to church too. But, you know, they just go either every now and then or they go, it's just a job you got to do on Sunday type thing. Most people who uh, go to church didn't have to continue that after Sunday. But for us, it was an everyday thing. Like, you know, it wasn't like a, all right, let's just go to church and get it over with thing. It was every day. It was never a moment where it wasn't, like, put to use, basically. Like, it's not like we just had to act like church on Sunday. Every day we had to act like church, which had benefits. And uh, I think it helped as far as, like, just growing up doing so, like, helped, like, develop talents that I probably wouldn't have developed had I not been at church, just like uh, public speaking and comes easy mm-hmm. as an adult because I had to do it whether I was comfortable with it or not growing up. Like you mentioned earlier, I'm a singer and I guarantee I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't grown up in the church. I would never became a singer. I wouldn't have known if I could sing or anything like that. And uh, just little stuff like I was able to read a little better than people in my grade and comprehend a little better in my grade because in church reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which was obviously more difficult than whatever little ABC stuff they had us reading in right. second grade or whatever. I think it had benefits. It had, you know, a little downfalls as far as like us being different and like finding it hard to communicate with people. But even then, once they realized like that's just us, it just kind of just became a part of what we were and like how people decided to approach their relationship with us and people had a respect for it. So. So Rev Mark, next question is to you then. So them growing up in the church and church is made up of all different people, walks of life. So did you have to keep them away or you just gave them directions of what you wanted them to do? Or did you have to make sure that they weren't around certain people who were living certain lifestyles? What did you do to make sure that they were on the straight and narrow? Well, first of all, I just kept an eye on them. I mean, they went out of my sight. I mean, sometimes, you know, when they went to the little youth meetings, but there was an adult there. But if I seen something that was out of the ordinary, I would tell them when I got home, uh, I said, hey, not to just, you know, mention, but some things that are not cool that, that happens, you know, church is not perfect. 
Mm-hmm. So some of those things, some of those people, I would warn them, hey, watch out, you know, that person right. there and this person. So, you know, basically, that's what I did. They're one of the people who you can pretty much trust, leaders. So, yeah, I just warned them. I always told them what not to do and how not to do it like and all that. I've always told them. I was always in the ear about that. So thank you. Thank you. So, guys, I want to go a little bit further down. So with everything that's going on with the uh, Maude Aubrey's, the George Floyd's and all of those going on, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, every time those things happen, how do you feel about that? I know for me, when I heard the gunshot for Trevon Martin, that, that has never left my head. I cried like that was my own relative. I mean, it just took me through. So being that you guys are young Black men and you have to get out and go into society, and I'm sure people are looking at you all different type of ways, when these things happen, how does it affect you? I think, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Elijah. Go ahead. For me, it wasn't really a surprise because the type of church that we grew up in was like an old school Baptist church or whatever. So our entire life, we were getting educated on these things that had been happening. And uh, we've been told like it hasn't stopped. It's just not as bad as it was back then, but it still happens on a great scale. And so really the only thing that changed was with the addition of like social media and uh, that type of exposure, it was getting reported more, but it wasn't like anything that, I wasn't sure about or didn't know about what was it about, you know. It didn't come as a shock to me as it might have for other people. It's just like a, a disappointing thing, like, wow, this is really still going on, you know. But uh, I wasn't in shock about it. Uh, I think I was mentally prepared to deal with it just growing up. And uh, I always knew the possibilities of it happening. Plus, both my parents coming from the South, we knew more stories than most people who grew up out here, just from their own experiences and uh, talking to our grandparents from down that way and other relatives and all of that who would tell us. Or even just going down there and feeling the difference of the different vibe that uh, comes, you know, being Black and seeing walking into an all-white area or a mostly predominantly white area and uh, feeling, like, you know, the hate and all that when you, when you go that further south. So I wasn't really surprised by it. It's kind of more so a disappointed feeling. And it's, it's the same thing now. I'm not surprised when I hear this stuff. I'm just disappointed. Thank you for that. I could say something on it. Like, uh, when I see stuff like that on the news, so the first thing I think about is that, like, just, like, it's real. Like, even the Trayvon stuff, is just real. Just, like, it's real to me because when I left and stuff like that, and, like, when I often leave, sometimes I do, like, I'm in the South also, so like I'm comfortable. I'm on campus and everything and in that area now and everything, but like going down there, and I've had some encounters like like with the uh the police even up here. I wouldn't I didn't really do anything. I told my dad dad about it, you know. But it's just real, like some people think not take it for granted, but some people don't actually believe that they're just killing black people just to kill black people. Right. And once they are, a lot of people are. And so like to, until you get in that situation, I've been in certain situations where like that definitely could have been a possibility for me or certain towns and stuff. That could have been a possibility for me. And so so like I just tell people to be cautious and I'm, I'm cautious myself always, you know, but sometimes you just end up in situations or stuff happens and you just got to remember what you were taught and move the right way and know that you, you're targeted at being like the color that we are. We are targeted. They're not lynching people nowadays. They're shooting people. So, you know, it's a real feeling as much 
when we get in these high places of power, if we we gotta teach our kids, things gotta change. Definitely. Yeah, so that's how I feel about it. Thank you. I'm gonna let him go because I know he got a lot to. <laughs> okay. I can keep it like this. They pretty much covered it all. I think. I don't know if my brothers had experience, but I, me and my dad actually shared an experience with an encounter with a police officer um, a few years back, dropping a friend off uh, late at night around Christmas time, and we were pulled over for some crazy thing. Whatever the case was, nothing major, whatever, but we both handcuffed and put in the back of a police car. We sat in a police station for four hours, I think a day before Christmas or something, Christmas Eve or something like that. And so even that could have went wrong because it was dark. It was two police cars, four police officers, and just two of us, and automatically they had the discretion that we had weed in the car. Wow. And um, so that experience, I connect more with him and I'll be able to share that with other people. But then I went to a PWI. And so when they, a lot of people on campus would act like this is not an issue. But I was like, no, I experienced this thing. And, you know, I know what it means. If I'd have made one route on we and it was on Salt Trail, so it, it wasn't no street lights out there. Me and my dad would have made one move that ain't seen right. You know, we probably wouldn't, one of us probably not even be here today. And so, just connecting with the Trayvon Martin and all those situations could have definitely went that way, but it didn't. So I connected. And every time there's somebody who is white, who does not have the experience as me, I often say the moment something like that happens, I automatically see my father or my brothers in that situation. And I said, that's when I get raged is when I see those them in that situation. I connect Trayvon with my brothers. I connect George Floyd, my father. Right. And so I see that I instantly rage because of that. And so I tell the white counterparts in that situation that you can't speak on that. You can't see your brother. You can't see your father in that situation. Or have you ever been in this situation with your father where y'all made one move wrong with your hand? They're going to take you out. Right. And so God, thank, thank God they, we didn't make the wrong move, but still it was a bad inter- interaction for no reason. Yeah. So it is deep, you know, it's stories to tell, but it's also a discretion. Our parents are real good at educating us. I say this, my dad used to always say, uh, when I wanted to take use the car to go somewhere at night, you know, be careful, watch out. There's a lot of police out. I don't know if you want to be out, you know what I'm saying? And that for me always kind of triggered. Not I wasn't mad at him, but it was it triggered me because police are supposed to protect and serve. My dad is saying don't go out because there's a lot of police out, right? right. And so uh, for me, that always is something that I tell white people, y'all will never understand that have that conversation with your parents is that you have to watch out for the police when they're supposed to protect and serve you. Thank Did you. I'll put uh, for my part on that is uh, as a parent is uh, really crazy because every time your children live out, even now, you know, I tell my sons, they, you know, they you like my son come out here, uh, my older son come from Chicago to out here. You know, I know he got two different things to deal with. He got to deal with the policemen and he got to deal with the thugs. Then I got uh, my two younger sons when they go out, every time they go out, you know, I tell them to be careful because, uh, just looked at, you know, you got to look at it. They're targeted. Uh, I think uh, my youngest son said it just point blank. They're targeted. They're targeted for quotas. And then when they're targeted, they're picked at. Before them, you know, I know me and my son got pulled over once, but I got pulled over. Or I got just uh, while walking while black, I got put in the police car. You 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 spit the suspect. I said, what's the suspect? And then I found out it was just a black male. It's been that way. For a long time. So I've always put it in their ear. I knew the time was going to come when I had to put it in their ear. Look, man, whenever you go out, there's a possibility. And you got to just, I know, you know, sometimes our anger wants to take over. But I tell them, look, you just got to be smart. To survive is to be smart. At that point, you're not weak. You just got to get out of that situation. And sometimes being strong means not saying that when they agitate you. 
And so I just I just try to prepare them, you know, and we got to look at it as parents. That's the scariest thing in the world. than knowing that your kids are going outside and they're targeted. And so that's one of the things that bothers me the most. And just like Charles III said, uh, it enrages me when some of my friends act, act like the police is your best friend because that's not always the case. There are some good policemen, but there are a whole lot of bad ones. So it's, uh, the makeup is just like America. It's just some, you got good people, you got bad people. You got good cops, you got bad cops. So I'm telling them, you never know when you're going to get one of those who trigger happen, just want to shoot somebody. And so uh, ever since they started going out, not before they, even before they start driving, just going out with friends, I've always, that you, you get that lump in your throat, like, I hope, you know, and then let me know when you get there, let me know when you get back. And I always tell them that even now, so that, you know, even though they're adults, I say, hey, man, because I just want to make sure you're all right. So, yeah. Thank you guys for that. So my next question with everything going on and we have all these uh, marches and all these different things that have happened, especially after George Floyd. And then we as black people trying to go, do you think that we're in a moment or a movement? Do you think things are changing or we're just enraged when moments happen? Because so often when things happen, we get out there and we're marching and we're doing all these things and then it passes away. So do you think that right now we're in a movement where we are about to change some things? I would say yes. I almost wanted to say no, but I want to say yes because we are in another era of a civil rights movement. I actually listened to a podcast earlier today, and um, we are reliving right the what we studied as the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. This is that time of the era. And so although I would say no because people are only protesting because of the hype, some people um, in the moment, and they're not actually doing the actual work, or donations and things like that. But I would say, yes, this is a movement because things, as much as we would like it, things are changing in certain ways. And so things are being brought to the light more. But also, I will also say that a lot of, just because things are brought to the light doesn't mean it's necessarily changing because there's a lot of bills that the president hasn't passed concerning Black lives and uh, policing when he has already passed um, Asian American uh, bills for their lives, but he has not passed it for ours. So, I would like to say things are, yes, changing, but then again, it's brought to the light for us as Black people because it's a fad, it's it's a fashion, it's, it's the hype thing, it's the next thing, but President Biden has not signed anything yet. And so until we can get that demanded in his hand to sign those things for us to make some moves, and I'm in limbo right now. Yes, I know a lot of people that are, that are moving and pushing it, but I would just say, I will also say kind of in the moment right now because Biden ain't signed nothing, and that's what we... Uh, pushing so yeah and also i look at the uh juneteenth we got that sign oh okay so now you guys can celebrate june 19th however mm-hmm. we still haven't gotten the anti-lynching bill passed yeah. Yeah. there you go so yeah. we're supposed to be happy with that all right yeah. so parker you were about to say something no uh, i was pretty much gonna say the same thing he said it's a i feel more so that it's like he said it's a mixture of both a moment and a movement but i feel that um in this particular case, in these past couple of years with COVID and then like, you know, started with Trayvon, but then like after the Trayvon and stuff like that, I feel like it turned into a movement and it's uh, the kids and the generations of my generation, uh, my brother's generation, stuff like that. We're seeing it full time as we're growing up and, um, mm-hmm. and we live in times where we have more privileges than, uh, let's say, uh, back in the day that they did, they didn't have a lot, you know, we didn't have a lot of privileges of people like this and stuff like that, couldn't do certain things, you know. Like I said, I feel like it's a movement because if we keep these wheels rolling, regardless of like, you know, some stuff going to have hype, everything has hype. 
But when it's our time to become like the new world leaders or what they call the uh, kids when they grow up, you know, when we when teaching them and everything, I feel like um and black people getting these positions because we're aspiring to be now, you know, we have more aspirations now. We have more dreams. We have more black people trying to be doctors, trying to be activists, politicians, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the more we get in those positions, the more I feel like we have a hand on things changing and stuff like that. And the fact that, you know, that we're experiencing all of this and how much power we have when we move together, I feel like when it comes time that we get in those positions, it'll become like a real, real movement, like a downhill movement. Like we going to really make some stuff move. And it's already happening now. It's already happening now. When Trayvon stuff happened, you know, stuff was moving. But now, like, I've seen, like, that movement increase, like, tenfold, if that makes sense. Like, and mm-hmm. stuff put into action tenfold. Not everything that we want is being put into action, but I can see the progression. So I feel, you know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like as a people, we're doing better at moving forward with it because we're more educated now and more informed. And not only that, like we want to be informed, but I think uh, in the past, we didn't have the resources to know legally what we can and can't stand for. And I think honestly, now people are fed up with it too. And um, us seeing, growing up hearing about it and then like growing, learning about it. And then uh, I don't know if, uh, every, I think uh, my era of people growing up were in this, um, this weird little space where it wasn't, too soon to when it was really bad, but it was far enough away that in school they taught about it, but the way that they taught us about it was a glazed over version. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, as we got older, and like I said, we have the internet now, we have like, the, it's called the information age for a reason, we can look up everything. So once we saw that we were being lied to by teachers, you know, people that you trust and all that, it kind of made people even more so, what's the word, like, uh, you know, radical about it. Like, it made us want to be uh, more revolutionary because, like, we, y'all tried to hide this from us. Like, you didn't, you didn't tell it. You didn't let us form our own opinion. You tried to hide it, and you're using it to manipulate it. And we see how the effects of it have affected us growing up or even the generation before us growing up. So we're more bothered by it. And um, I think that, along with us being more educated as a whole, like we have lawyers now and... Um, you know, people who study this stuff and study what you can and can't do to a person. And um, I think that, and they're all on social media just as much as somebody who doesn't have any college experience. So they're giving us, like they're letting us know. And then if we don't believe them, you can go look it up. So I think we are coming closer to getting, I think you see the politicians are doing desperation things. Like now they're trying to do the Juneteenth thing. Like that's something that would, you know, this is not the first time we heard about Juneteenth, but like, they're doing something because they're getting nervous. They want to calm us down. They want to give us a little something to make us feel better. But that's because they know that we're close to boiling over. And uh, luckily, that didn't do anything for us. So they'll know, like, okay, we need to do more because we didn't accept that. Like, that wasn't enough for us to, for y'all to just give us this date. This day should have been given to us a long time ago. You know, so I think yeah, we're getting closer, but we're getting closer because of us, not because of the government, if that makes sense. Now the next step is reaching into the government, you know. Thank you. Now, let me say what I got to say about that is, uh, like I said, that in, a lot of times I put, like, you know, a lot of things, like now what's coming to prominence, stuff that was 
when he's mentioned glazed over like uh black wall street i've been knowing about that for years but it, it was it was never taught now, i had black history my teacher taught us everything i had a black teacher who taught black history in 1979 if you can believe that she told us everything that's happening now after she left somebody else took over it sort of disappeared but uh we have to be careful because a lot of stuff we don't you know they don't know about and they won't tell you about it. some more stuff is going to come up that they, they haven't heard about but the thing is, I've always put stuff in their ear about the past. I've always told them about their relatives that got in trouble in, in Alabama and all that. And you look at that stuff and, you know, that's the thing. I think America is getting caught up in the movement a little bit because it's commercial now to be caring about this. It's all, you know, we love black people, you know, that's cool. But OK, so send some funding this way to help that. And then the thing, the real change is not going to come until the old boy network get out of the, the Senate and uh, the Congress and all that and all yeah. these little states and all of it's not going to change until some of these old stalwarts that are keep blocking laws to uh, keep us not to that stage of being really where we're supposed to be until they get out of there. It's going to be that way. Realistically, we are in the moment, but. Like I said, it's, it's a catch-22 because it's also a movement. There's some people that's on it for the glory ride, and there's some that's on it to it really because they want to see change for their people, and they want to see change for their those that are coming up after them. But like I said, it's always been, like I said, it's something that we always got to fight for because it, it ain't going to change overnight. We, got, we still got a bunch of people that got some votes changed, and we got some stuff happening to get, I won't call names, but get some crazy right. people out of position. But uh, still, we got to move further. That's not enough. We can't be satisfied with that. So, yeah. So Harriet Tubman, thank you for uh, that, you guys. Harriet Tubman had made a statement. She said that she would have freed many more slaves had they known that they were slaves. Mm-hmm. Now, with mm-hmm. us on here today, we have these ideas. We talk about moments and movement, racism, but not everybody going with us. Everybody don't believe it. Some people believe, OK, well, we've come this far we've gotten this and they think that because they've gotten so many things. I watched a movie. It's with Reverend John Burns. And I don't know if you ever, you guys know, but he was a civil rights leader right before, I believe it was Megger. Oh, yeah. And so he said, what do they call a black doctor? And the word was nigger. Mm-hmm. And that's what his statement was. So often we get in these positions and we do all these things. Do you think that, and I know you guys are working it and trying to make it happen. Do you think that this is one of those times, whether it's a moment or a movement, that you may just have to leave some people behind because everybody not going and just try to make it great for those people that want to go? Because Harriet Tubman tried to get a lot of people to go. Some of those people, they were okay with being where they were. Oh, certainly. I think everybody essentially kind of educating themselves somewhat, but not really. And then to Facebook. So like you have a lot of people that have platforms because of Facebook and Instagram. And mm-hmm. so because they have a platform, they believe that they know it all or essentially they may get a few hundred likes and think that their statement is valid and true when actuality they're speaking out of ignorance and they don't understand. You have some people where we have this mindset, you know, my generation, I mean, my brother's generation kind of like is more so like the self-made type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of those people that think I got here on my own. I did this on my own. And so this individualized thinking allows you to neglect others. Right. And so in that, though. People feel like they don't need to fight for these things. I'm getting my money. I'm doing this. I'm good. That's how I'm getting money. I don't right. care about what's going on. As long as I'm getting money, 
I'm getting money. I'm getting money. That's the catch, right, for this generation is getting money. Don't get me wrong. Getting money is cool, but then just getting right. money and don't understand you're enslaved in the mindset of a system to allow you to think that you don't need to fight for these things. There are those that are fighting and getting money, but then there are those that's thinking, I just, I'm going to get this money and stay in my lane and keep doing this. Not understanding that they're in a systematic mindset that the media is portraying it's with, in terms of with white people. And I'm just being honest. I'm going to be honest and say it seems like more white people that don't have a care about what's going on in society because they're just doing their living. They're living life and they're doing these things. They're going all over the places and black people are doing their thing too. But we have a responsibility, I believe, a greater responsibility to make sure that those who we have in institutions, not only that, but that who are stuck in these systems, we have an obligation to go back and try to help them out only if they can see that they if they choose to stay in their environment then there's nothing we can do about it actually bible talks about that is that people choose right if you speak your truth and people don't accept that dust your feet and keep going you know and so i think essentially we don't have time to try to pull and proud people who choose to stay it's not it's one thing if they don't know right um, we can educate but those who choose to stay in certain things, then, that, then that's on them. And we got to keep moving forward. I mean, if you ain't moving forward, then there's no reason to waste the time. So. Thank you. I think it's one of those situations where you just kind of have to let people come as they come. I think it's something where you can't force anybody to learn these things. You can't open anybody's eyes who are trying to be blind to it. You just kind of have to say your piece and don't belittle them. But at the same time, you got to let them, sadly, nine out of 10, we're going to experience it. If you're a Black person, especially a Black man, you're going to experience it. Sometimes you just got to um, let them catch on on their own. I feel like if we try to force what we think on people and how we think it should go, it's not going to do anything but uh, alienate them. And I feel like that goes for like white and Black people. I tell uh, my workers, I inform them what's going on. But I won't ever try to force them to see it from my perspective. The most I'll try to do is give them an, an example and tell them, like, imagine you this, this, and this, and this is how the response was. Or, like, sometimes something will come up in the news. I have this one friend, uh, she's a white woman, and um, she knows black people. She grew up around black people, but, like, she doesn't know the extent of it because she never had to, which, you know, isn't her fault. You know, she wasn't exposed to it. So what I do when she does have a question, I don't get offended with her. I just answer. And even if it's a question that might come off as offensive to me, and I feel like we should do the same with each other, like the Harriet Tubman example, those slaves didn't leave because that's all they knew. They didn't know it was in the North. Like, you know, it's always easier to go with what you think you know rather than to say, let me step out of the line, let me be radical, let me be, you know, it's always, they, the term is ignorance is bliss. If you're at peace with what you know, it's going to be very hard to try to tell somebody to stop being at peace, stop being happy and be upset about this and look at it this way, even though you know that this is going to cause you discomfort if you have to see the world in this way. So, I feel like it's just one of those things where you have to let people experience it for themselves because nobody who's comfortable will ever choose to not be comfortable. Very even true. if the information is something that you feel like they need to know. So uh, I feel like you give them what they need. You give them all the little nuggets, but you don't make them feel bad. You don't push it on them. You just let them learn. You just let them see. 
And then as things keep happening, like I said, when everything's on social media, everything's on the news now, you just let them see it. And even then, you don't see I told you because as people, you also got this thing where you can't tell me nothing. It kind of alienates people to do things that way too. So then even if they do, or even if they would have seen from your perspective, they're going to lean away from it just because you're the one who said it and you just tried to rub it in their face and they, they'll be blind to something. They're literally ignorant to something if it means that you're wrong sometimes. Yeah. So I try to just educate without belittling or I try to inform or I try to just throw it out there as if I'm not trying to get a point across. I try to say things that make you think. And if it's a situation like that, and that's how I go about it. Yes. Thank you. Here's my thought on that, and it's uh, real. It's a real issue. There are that group that uh, don't know that they're slaves. And, and in that sense, it's slaves to a lot of things and mindsets. Some people just, if they can get them some weed and they can get high, then they can chill. No matter if the world is going wrong and their kids got to grow up in it, they're still sitting here. That's their goal. And you can't put it in their head that we're still at a place that we need to keep fighting. We need to stop fighting for our rights. Uh, you got people that's, uh, you got the killing that's going on in the city and all over People killing up, the kids getting shot, and, and, and that's us. So we're getting killed on both ends. But you don't see, you know, our own people are doing it and the police are doing it. So you don't, but people are still stuck. That's a mindset. That's a slave. That's, you know, that mindset. And then if it's in some of the music, some of the music is bolstering that. Uh, you talk about killing and all that. And so, you know, these people going out, eating that up, and that's in their mindset. And then they're going on that, in that psyche, and then they go out. And that's what they are. That's their goal. That's what they're shooting for. So we got to look at that and say, hey, it's still some people that's left behind. And there's some people that as long as they got a house, as long as they got a job, as long as they got a, a bins in the driveway, that's your problem. So the mindset, yeah, even them people are, are still in that category that Harriet says some people don't even know they're slaves. So we got to look at the mindset to know that we have to fight for great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren down the line. It's not The fight's not over, even if we got a little bit of comfort from when I grew up. Because I grew up with Martin Luther King. When I was in first grade, Martin Luther King got killed. And I, you know, to hear about that and see what, you know, what was going on and see the stuff, see dogs biting people and looking at them in horror, in horror on TV, uh, fire hoses, to see, you know, that them doing that to us. I actually witnessed that. I actually mm-hmm. saw it. And so to see it, and then to see what's going on now that you y'all don't see what happened. Y'all don't see the patterns. So that's the thing that gets me about it. We haven't gotten there. And people still, even when we got the black president, we still haven't gotten there. We got the first the black woman to make the highest position ever. Yeah. And still, we're not there. So we got a lot more that's not making it. And so, yeah, we got those, that slave mentality still. Appreciate that. So... I have a question here. What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? You guys being black men in the world. What do you think it's the misunderstanding? How do you think they view you? I think a big misunderstanding. I don't even think so much as people think we're violent anymore, but I think people, they limit us. Like uh, somebody talks to me, they talk to me about, oh, do you work or this, this and that? But they don't think about like what else I could possibly do. They don't think that I could be a business owner. They think I could be an employee though, a good employee. They don't think that I can be an investor or, you know, be in the stocks or be artistic and make it off of an artistic thing. Or if they do think it's some artistic, they think it's a certain type of like, if I make music, then I got to rap. If I um, play sports, then I got to be trying to go to the NBA. You know what I mean? 
And in reality, I'm just somebody who wants to potentially own their own business one day and just want a peaceful life and not a danger to anybody type. So I think the biggest misconception about Black people is, um, yeah, really just that. Like, they just kind of limit us now. I think they're starting to open their eyes. But even, like, when somebody gets a degree. And another thing on the opposite end of that is they don't think that we are smart at all. Like, I kind of get insulted when I see people praising us for, like, getting good grades. Like, it's unexpected. You know what I mean? Right. They say, why isn't this on the news? A Black kid got all A's. And it's like, it shouldn't be or, news. Or being know? a good father. They're like, oh, he's a good father. Like That shouldn't be news. That shouldn't be nothing that stands out. Because not everybody, but, like, it's more common than not. I see right. a lot of extremely smart Black people. I grew up with, I had two kids in my class that got all A's on everything as we were growing up through grade school. And they went on and graduated from college and everything, had every scholarship and all of that. To me, I kind of get insulted when I see that, oh, this black kid got a perfect score on the ACT. Why isn't this on the news? And in my head, I say it's not on the news for the same reason that the white kid who got the perfect, because it should be expected for us to be able to reach that. I don't want to just be known for the athletics and the art either like uh, we're intellectuals too us having good grades isn't special it's expected us being good fathers isn't special it's expected you know so I think uh the biggest misconception is you either like you know I think that might be even bigger than what I said initially just like that we're that most of us aren't smart because of our situation or whatever or most of us can't be good parents and most of us don't stick around and you know, stuff like that. Like, you see people get commended. I saw somebody get commended for helping his son do his homework, and it's like, right. you know, yeah. that, that's not special. The reason that they find it so special is insulting is because they don't think that we can or are willing to. They don't think that we have it in our heart to be good people or do what we're supposed to do. And I think that might be the biggest one. Yes, okay. You know, and I think also, yeah, I mean, same thing. And you do see that so-and-so did this, why come that didn't make the news? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, uh, now I agree when it's something extra, extraordinary that does happen, that, that, yeah, that may be the case, but just regular stuff, absolutely, that shouldn't be it. But my expectation is, like I said, when they see us, they, they expect us, you know, it's always been, you know, since I've been growing up, it's a little bit better now, but it's still the same situations. Uh, you know, when, they, when we, if I walk into a store, you better believe they're going to be looking, you know, well, maybe not me now because I'm older, but at a point in time that they're going to be watching me out of the security cameras more than they watch the other people. And the other people are still in, you know, I've been in retail for so long, I, I, they're still in just as much or more. They're going to expect, we're public enemy number one. we got a target on our back, and that's the way it is. That's society's way of looking at us. Black men are targeted. They're stereotyped. We're looked at as somebody. We're dangerous. If you walk past the car door, you will hear click, click. The expectation is we're something, you know, we're some gorilla, some ogre, some monster. Yeah. And so, yes. Uh, the third, you have anything on that one? Yes. I would just say uh, a lot of people just the biggest misconception of us, of me, is perhaps that just uh, I will go as far as to say in terms of white people, maybe not more so black, but people who are not black is that I'm not a, like just me being a preacher. Maybe more so, I'm talking more so the white church. Like just because I'm a black young man doesn't mean I'm in the street or 
I am doing other things, but like it's the idea of just I could speak well. I have clarity in my voice and uh, don't sound white at the same time. It's one of the biggest misconceptions I think that we need to kill. And I th- I do believe that uh, many people get me mixed up with that because they don't, you know, just because of how they view black people. So that's for me, just certain things that, you know, not being above the standard black person, but being above the standard as a person. Right. That's what we got to understand is the difference. And, you know, yeah. So just because I do this, well, doesn't mean I'm above the standard of a black person. No, I'm above the standard of you as well. And, uh, right. and so I think we have to be able to understand that's what a lot of people don't understand. A lot of you know, white people may not understand that they are stereotyping or even prejudice in that way to categorize us to specific things. They may not think it, they may not know it, but we as black men are able to do what they do even better and even more at times and and I think they forget that and they don't also want to know that and so just understanding that we can exceed beyond human expectations not just the black bar that y'all created for us very true very true thank you so much so with everything we're almost about to wind this out with everything going on and everything that your dad taught you and the good lessons and all you guys have what is it that you're most proud of that you're going to hand down to your children the one thing, you know what, my dad, I know you have to do the, if you have boys, you have to do the talk, you have to do those things, but what are some of the other things? Because you said, men, you guys get stereotyped all the time. My parents, they were divorced me growing up, but I still had my dad and I still had male figures in my life the whole time. So a lot of times when people are talking about black men not around, I have no idea what they're talking about because that's not how I grew up because I grew up with positive, strong male role models. So what are some of the things that you're going to hand down to your kids that you want them to know? I would say I would pass down the sacrifice of being a father. That's what I see my father do. He sacrificed his time, sacrificed perhaps what he wanted to do in certain situations for us as children to be able to have the best opportunities to be successful. And so just the sacrifice of presence, being present. Is this big thing and just being able to teach them things that my dad has taught me, but then also teach things that I'm learning as well. And so mm-hmm. just be able to pass that down to them. I think that's one of my main things, how, how I move in life now is like everything that I'm doing. I'm setting that up for my children. You know, I'm trying to set things up so that they can be born into some situations that I wasn't born in. But then also that they can have just that perspective of what my father did for me. And so that's what I would say. Thank you. That was good stuff. Good stuff. Anybody else? Little stuff like growing up in the church and like the importance of education and uh, importance of physical health and stuff like that. And then just try to like give little life lessons when I can based off the stuff that I was taught. And you know, all the things like that, just like most of how to be a man, like cut, how to cut grass, you know, things like that, how to tie a tie, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, me, how I'm gonna bring my kids and my kid up. My dad was a blueprint, so a lot of the stuff he did for us, I plan on doing for my kids personally. Not even like even like just big old major stuff, just like the little stuff. Cause like you know, it'd be like the little stuff that sculpt sculpt them into the person that they're gonna be. It could just be like the character, the way you carry yourself, or the way that you uh present yourself to them, and uh, open yourself up to be like you know, you can talk to them or like uh you know you can get. I'm a valuable source of information, the truth to you. You know, the church too, 
let them do like whatever they have their goals to be. I'm, I'm gonna let them do that, you know, and support them 100%, whatever it is. So it's like just stuff like that. And um, also, you know, like we we uh, touched on, let them know how the world is and like how we are viewed once they get to a certain age and everything. Even though uh, I have a girl, or I'm gonna have to help my mom, but you gotta let let them know, like you know, being a black woman in America and stuff like that. That's a whole nother problem. Yeah, that needs to be addressed too, and uh, they need to be informed how they are viewed and how uh, workplaces view them, or just like just how they view. Period. So it's like uh, I'm gonna make sure that they're informed and they know so they can maneuver the right way and be as successful as they can during this lifetime and the world we live in. So that's how I feel about it. I appreciate it. So Charles III, I know you are about to get out. So this is what I just want you to tell the people what you're into. I know you've been on TV a couple of times. And if they want to contact you, if you want to give any information, please share that. Yeah. So um, I guess I'm associate pastor, a community organizer. I'm out there. I'm in the street, whether, you know, serving people, but also um, protesting, organizing people and empowering them where they are. Uh, also, I, the Lord has blessed me to do a lot of preaching across the city in various places and so that's what i do i do it at, at that capacity as well as do i, I mentor as well so okay trying to spread my wings a little bit in those areas you can reach me at charles the the third on facebook as you can see my name on the thing just put in the Ch- the third it'll pop up on instagram you can put the loach the third the loach third just type in the loach you're gonna find us because that name last name is not common and then that's it that's i'm really on facebook and instagram and you can i follow and you can see my church in my organization as well. So that's what I do. And I thank you so much, Tammy, for allowing us to be on this show. Definitely had a great time. Thank you. I'm glad you're on here. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. All right. So I know that Mr. Eli Rose, I looked you up and that kid car, Kurt, I looked you up. So y'all tell me some stuff that's going on with y'all. Y'all got some pretty dope stuff. You know, I know I'm older, but I can still listen to y'all. So y'all got some pretty cool stuff out there. So tell me about what you're into. Oh, I uh, definitely appreciate it. Me personally, I just released a single a couple weeks ago on my birthday, probably about a month ago now. Uh, I just released a new single. I'm a relatively new artist as far as like making my own music and posting it and all of that. Uh, I got one EP out, so four song EP, something awesome. small, people a sample of like the type of music that I'm, well, one side of the type of music I make. The single was like another side of me that I type of music, style of music. And I, I try to just, the type of artist I want to be is, I want to be somebody who you can't just put in one genre of music. Yeah, I don't want to mm-hmm. be put into a box. Like um, my first name was going to be uh, Elijah Soul, but I felt like the soul part put me into too much of a box. I don't yeah. just make soul music. And I don't want somebody to run across my name and feel like that's not the type of music that they want to listen to. Right. I try to do a little bit of everything. I got another single that should be coming out soon. And I plan on having a project in the fall. Another project. This one, uh, probably a little longer, probably seven to seven to ten songs, maybe. And um, I'm just kind of excited to see how much I can make the fan base grow and take it as far as I possibly can. Hopefully make some money off of it. One right. Of these <laughs> so how can we find you? How can we find um, Eli Rose? I'm on Apple Music. I'm on Spotify. Some of my stuff is on YouTube. I'm trying to be more active on YouTube and uh, upload more on there. Social media-wise, my name is Elijah Deloach on Facebook. 
Eli underscore D25 on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at with everything. Um, I try to interact with everybody who interacts with me, especially if they're talking about music and my type of music or just any anyone's music in general. I try to interact with it. I try to give everybody to listen. Uh, I hope that people give me an honest listen to and I hope they enjoy it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, that kid Kerr, tell us about yourself. My well, as she's been uh, saying, uh, my um, artist name is That Kid Kerr, which is spelled T H T K I D. The last three letters of Parker K E R, and that's how you can find me on like uh, Instagram or any streaming service. But I just been making music, trying to stay consistent. Um, now that the world's opening back up. Well, I'm going to be going back to school, so I'm going to try to do a couple shows down there. And then when I come back here, try to see if I can do some shows up here. This is spare my name out a little bit. been trying to make music, producing, doing as much as I can to be in the industry. Somehow, uh, I do it because I love it. So I'm just, I make music for everybody. I got something for everybody in my uh, catalog that I've made so far. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's T-H-T-K-I-D-K-E-I if you want to find me anywhere. Huh? Thank you so much. All right, Rev, give us an ending. What are you up to? I know you get into a lot of different things as well. I turned a big signature age this this uh, year, uh, 60. Uh, I know I don't look like it. No, I'm just messing with <laughs> uh, I'm just planning on doing the same. Thank my kids because they threw me a great, great, great awesome. uh, celebration. Uh, they made me feel so good. They deeply loved them for that. I'm thankful. They, they did such an awesome job. I figured out that now uh, I'm just going to keep, uh, I'm going to spend more time in, in the things. I used to do a lot of art and stuff, and I I got so busy that I uh, held it off a little bit. Now that they're spreading their wings, I get a chance to spread mine a little bit because now they're a little bit, they're freer. So uh-huh. I'll be doing to my arts and my music and stuff. I, I'm actually planning myself to uh, release some music. So Oh, uh, awesome, Coach. Okay. Look at these guys do it. So I'm like, well, my son's going to already stepped out there. I might as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, fitness and all that stuff. So I'm just pretty much uh, just going to spread my artistic uh, self a little bit more out. I had, uh, like I said, I put it on hold a lot because I would, you know, go do things with them more you know, when they was in school, but now I got a little bit more time to do that. So that's what I do, you know. Oh, good, good. And, uh, oh, with the Spa Theater, I'm still, right? you know, connected with that and we'll be still be doing things with that. That's an outlet too. So yeah, definitely. All right. So I know, I'm sorry, I had a couple more questions. This is what the world wants to know. Which one of you guys is the funniest, the best sense of humor? Me. I feel like it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> okay. So both of y'all said <laughs> What I'm about? Huh? I'm situational funny. Oh, okay. I think it's me. I do everything. I tell jokes on situational. I'm more so reserved, though, so you might not see that side of me. Uh-huh. That's my thing. I think it's me. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most serious? Charles. Okay. All right. If you guys are out and about, who is the life of the party? Holly Parker. Parker. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I want to thank you guys so much for being on my podcast. I had a great time. I appreciate you guys coming on here. Uh, have all your, Oh, and this will get posted uh, the Monday of this month. So I'll you tell your family and friends about it. So again, thank you guys for listening and watching my podcast. What happens in this house stays in this house strength over silence podcast. Thank you guys. 